from, you know, from the old days to the nowadays, from what they were like till today, some you can catch certain character qualities or, or certain characteristics of their physical nature that you could see, okay, I know who that is. But even though we go through physical changes, and thank God that we go through these changes, uh, many of us just change on the outside. But sometimes we forget that the main area that God looks for change is not on the outside because that's going to happen. He looks for change where? On the inside. And that's imagining the new you. It's not necessarily everything on the outside because that's going to happen as a result of styles, as a result of age, as a result of the way the world goes and trends. But God is more concerned about what is going on on the inside than he is the outside. And it's fine to take care of ourselves and be healthy and eat right. That's fine. But God is saying, I, I, I so want you to imagine the new you from the inside out. Because that's how God works. And although God never changes, His methods and, and the way He deals with us and helps us, those methods may change, but God never changes. He's still the same. This, this new you, if you can imagine the new you. Imagine what life could be if you could never fail. Imagine what your life would look like, what, what your family would look like, and, and how you would conduct yourself if you knew you couldn't fail. What would life look like? Because that's what God wants to bring to us. He wants us to imagine a new you if you, would, if you could never fail. If you couldn't make any mistakes, and if, if, if God says, no, this is who you're going to be, and, and, and take some risks, what would life look like? See, the Bible tells us, and you can take out your notes from your bulletin, in Psalm 102, verse 25 through 27, it says, Long ago you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will change them like a garment and discard them, but you are always the same. You will live forever. Now let's read this next scripture. It's, this is our four-square scripture. And we have it up here, Hebrews 13, 8. We're going to read it together. Ready? Go. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I so love these scriptures because it, it reminds us that we're going to go through changes. But God remains the same, which means we have a solid foundation in which to live our lives from. Imagine what life could be like if you couldn't fail. Some of us dream and imagine what life could be like, but we come up with many reasons why we cannot. And so we hinder who we are supposed to be, even in God's sight, in who we're supposed to be. But God can change any situation. He can change any circumstance. He can do great things. He wants to take us from glory to glory. And it all starts with God's power to bring change into our lives. 2015 is our year of renewal that we talked about as a church. And God wants to renew us. He wants to do brand new things in all of us. And in every single person lay the potential of becoming who God made us to be. In every single person lay the potential for greater things to become a reality. And here's how that happens. Let's take some notes. Number one, we got to identify, and that's the word we want to write down, identify what changes I need to make. Identify what changes, what changes we need to make. Because God sees our life from beginning to end. And he changes us from the inside out. So we first need to figure out what changes need to be made. Isn't it true that it's easier for us to see what changes other people need to make than the changes we need to make? It's so easy for us to say to someone else, all you need to do is this, 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 and this, and everything will be better. Some of us, were so frustrated with people and we say, if you just stop doing that, your life would be better. If you dump that person, you would be free. That's what we say. We try to give people advice, yet at the same time, we need to make changes ourselves. Nothing wrong with giving people advice and trying to help one another, but God says there are changes I'm doing in you that I want you to identify so that we can cooperate together. But if you don't know what those changes are, then you lay dormant. And so does the potential that God has given to us. And so he says, you got to identify that. This man named Justin Zormello, he owns a company 
called Best Ball Analytics. And what he does is he works with professional basketball players and, and amateurs or high schoolers, and he actually analyzes their game by numbers. He's a numbers guy. So he doesn't improve their shooting necessarily or the way they dribble the ball. He doesn't, he doesn't do uh, you know, uh, basketball skill drills with them. He actually shows them their numbers and percentages of where they shoot well, where the kill zones are, where they don't shoot that well. And so he, he, he analyzes their film and their game plan. He says, listen, you would do a whole lot better if you shot from this area rather than six feet away. You would shoot better if you took a step closer because you're 89% here versus 34% there. Even though you're open, you shoot better from this distance. It's more comfortable for you. And so he does all numbers. He analyzes the angle in which they dribble, the, the angle in which they're fading away. He, he analyzes all of that and gives them the percentages. In fact, one of the players that he helped was Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Durant. He helped these star players in their game play. Paul George, CP3, all of these NBA star players. He analyzed their game play exactly where they do well. And he says, here's what I've identified. And it changed their game. In fact, he, uh, there's this high school player, and you might have heard of him or you're going to hear about him. His name is Don Makers. He is seven feet one. I can't even reach that. So he's taller than this. Seven feet one, he's, he moves as quick as a guard, if you understand basketball, but he plays like a forward or a center. He's that good. Seven feet one. The average uh, NBA player's vertical jump is 28 inches. His is 34, and he's seven feet one. In fact, he can't jump. He, if he jumps fully, his head will hit the rim. So this guy has such potential but when Justin Zermelo looked at his game film and everything, he said, you could do a lot better if you just changed these certain aspects of the game. And he talked about his energy. He said, you, you have so much energy that you're constantly running back and forth, but you're burning off energy that you don't need to. He says, how many, how many minutes do you think Dirk Nowitzki, who plays for the Dallas, Dallas Mavericks, he's like a, a forward center, uh, how long do you think he holds the basketball? And Thon said, well, maybe about uh, maybe seven to eight minutes per game. And he says, no, one point, he holds it for one minute, 17 seconds in total in the whole game. He'll have it for a second, take a shot. Why? Because Dirk knows that he's going to expend his energies on getting points rather than doing fancy dribbles like Kyrie Irving or someone who has great ball handling skills. Well, Kyrie has both. He has handling skills and he can shoot, but that's a whole other ball game. Dirk Nowitzki, he's saying, I just want to use my energies to shoot the ball and score points. And when I thought about that and, and how Justin will look at different spots and how these NBA players can improve, he first needs to analyze and identify what changes need to be made. And I thought that's just like us. That God would say that you, you may not be sinning. There may not be things in your life that are, not, uh, that are bad. It's just if you can identify these certain areas, there, there are certain kill zones. that don't, You don't belong there. You don't need to expend your energies there. This is what I've created you for. Here's where you expend all your energies. That way you can score points because in a game, it doesn't matter how fancy you are. What matters is if you get points on the board. And so it is with life. It doesn't matter how fancy our life is. So long we live the life God planned us to live, the purpose that he created us for. And so he says, you got to identify those areas. Otherwise, if you don't think you need changes, you're going to come to a place where you're going to have to change. And I remember some time ago, I was later 20s, even early 30s in my life. I'm 42 See, you know you're in your 40s when you got to guess what your age is. But I was in my later 20s, early 30s, and I would, I would have a stiff neck. My back would go out, and I'm thinking, why is this happening? And so Heidi said, why don't you just go to like a, a masseuse or a, somebody who can adjust your back and, and, and do those things. I said, nah, no need. I just got to stretch. Just got to stretch. I got to stretch. So she says, well, just, just go and adjust. Just see what happens. And so I refused. I said, no need. Waste money. And, you know, well, you wives know. So uh, she bought me a, a gift certificate for, uh, for my back to be adjusted or uh, massaged. And so I went. And 
not more than five minutes, I'm like out cold, nine-eye, sleeping, because it was like my, my, the tension in my back and in my neck was released, and I just, I was like in la-la land, and, and when it was all done, I came out, and Heidi said, so, how is it? And I was like, it feels so good. I wasn't drunk. I was just, it just felt good that my body was relaxed. And I, and I thought about it. I said, you know, I didn't know I needed my back to be adjusted until it got adjusted. I didn't know my body was under that much stress until I was not under that much stress. And so it is with God that sometimes we don't think we need to change, but he's saying there are certain key areas that when you do change, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I'm so glad I identified that and made that change because here's where I am today. I'm living a better life. I don't have to worry about who's looking over my shoulder. I don't have to worry about them chasing me down. I don't have to worry about them calling me every day. I don't have to worry about these people talking about me. I don't have to worry about anything of that. Why? Because I've identified those areas and I've made the proper changes Proverbs 4, excuse me, 24, verse 30 says, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and, a, and its stone wall was broken down. Now, let's stop there for a moment, because some of us will live our life in this way. We'll identify things in our life, and we'll say, boy, yeah, my, that's my life right there. I'm, I'm lacking sense right now. Uh, it's completely overgrown with thistles. There are so many things coming my way. It's like life is crashing down. Yeah, the surface of my life is just covered with nettles, and some places in my life are just broken. And then we stop there. But this man was so wise. This is what he did. Let's continue. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked, and then what? Received instruction. See, it's no sense identify anything if we're not going to receive God's instruction to change. We can identify certain areas, but no sense if we're not going to do anything about it. Yes, some of us are great at seeing other people's, you know, changes that they need to make, but what about our own? We should be, we should be professionals at finding what, in, what, what needs to change in us more than anybody else. In fact, James talks about it in James 1.19. He says, understand this, my, brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And then he says this, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. In other words, it's possible that we can get rid of all the filth and evil in our lives. Or the Bible wouldn't suggest it or say it. It's a possibility. We can do this. And humbly, because here's the second part, humbly accept the word of God, ex humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. See, if we just get rid of all the filth and evil in our lives, but we don't fill it back up with God's word and the changes that he wants us to make and, and what he has planted in our hearts, then we're going to be people who condemn others because we're trying to live a perfect life. But God says, no, there's humility that comes in that you humble yourself so that you can accept my word because that's where the power comes from for your soul. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself Walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. That's where the blessing comes in. It's kind of like us as, as people. You know, women, when you go to a movie or, or, or you're, you see a, a friend and they tell a sad story or even being in a church a setting like this and, and tears fall from your eyes and you're not wearing your waterproof mascara and your mascara starts to run and if no one tells you and then you go to the restroom and you see yourself in the mirror, you're like, oh, my mascara's running. Why didn't anybody tell me? But you don't just look at it and say, Ah, uh, oh well, 
and then leave. No, you clean it up. You get the Kleenex and then you dab it on because you know, like you know, remove the concealer and everything else. So you just dab it and then you do one of these. The because you don't want to mess up the eyeliner. So you clean it up. You make it look good and you freshen up. You look at yourself in the mirror. You see what needs to be fixed. You fix it. Guys, we're the same. I was, I was at Ala Moana the other day and, uh, you know, washing my hands. And um, this guy comes next to me, kind of like rushes in. And then he looks in the mirror. He's like, puts on the water. Shh. He's doing his hair. And then he walks up. I'm like, hey, what's this? Like, you have a date or something? He didn't even use the restroom. He just went in and did his hair and did all of that. Look at himself and walked out. And so I looked at myself. I was like, oh, no wonder he's doing that. I've got to do the same thing too. <laughs> Our hair gets messy or, or your eyebrow is out of whack or something. You see what needs to be fixed and then you change it. You do something about it. And James was saying, no one looks at the mirror, sees what is wrong, and then walks away and then forgets about it. We do something about it. We fix it. We identify it. And then we do something about it. We change. And that's the way God says for us to live. That when we identify something, do something about it. That's where the blessing comes in. You're blessed when you do this, when you make that change. You're blessed. Why? Because you're not changing for the world. You're changing because of God planting that in your heart because he sees something greater. God could imagine what our life would look like. And so keep imagining what life could be like. Some of us say, but I, it's not worth the energy. It's not worth it. You know, so-and-so said I can't. I don't have family support. No one supports me. I don't. And you have all the excuses. And so here's what you do. Imagine, you keep imagining what your life could be like. Just keep imagining until you imagine it so great that it's worth making those changes. Imagine what life could be like as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a father or mother. Imagine what it would be like because if it's not worth changing for, you're not going to make any changes. But if you can imagine what life could be like, oh, I want to be better at this. I want to be a better father or mother. I want to spend more time with my family or my children, however it's going to be. I, I want to be better at my job, my profession. I want, to, I want to do well in school, in life. You imagine it to such a great degree that you say, now that's worthy of changing. Because I know this. That's the life God probably imagined for you before he created you and I. That God said, this is the life that I created for you. But you went astray and now you're, you're trying to live life like the world. You're trying to be like this person or that person. Or you're believing in what the world says. And so you try to morph yourself into the ways of the world. Yet you're so far from the life I imagined you to live. And so you're not even imagining what life could look like. You're just following someone else's template or the world's template. And you try to become greater in the sight of the world. And God says, oh boy, if you could only imagine what your life could be like. So much that you're, you find it worthy to change for. That it's worth the effort because you see how great life could be. Which comes to our second point. Imagine my life with these changes. Just imagine your life with these changes. Imagine coming home. Imagine being with your spouse. Imagine being with your children and, and not having conflict. Imagine coming home to a peaceful home. Imagine, just imagine what the environment would be like at work. Imagine how great it could be. And you become that because God is doing that in you. But you got to imagine it and think about it. Think it through. Think it, think it, think it to a point where you say it's, it's worth making these changes. Some of you are saying, well, but I, you know, I'm living in a, a time where it's in the season of my life, it's, just, it's a dark season. It's, things aren't going well. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this, and my family is not doing well. My job situation, finances, it's just dark times. Well, here's the good news. You never see the stars unless it's dark. And even in the dark times, God can shine his light here and there, and he can say, but here's your potential. You got to be able to imagine what life would be like with these changes. That's what he did with this woman called, uh, we, we know her as the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman that Jesus comes into, uh, they, they have this encounter 
almost like a God-divine encounter. In fact, Jesus did this on purpose. He, he was to go to another town, but he went through this one city or town called Samaria. And the Samarians, uh, Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. So for Jesus to go through this one town, it was unheard of. And why would you go through a town where you're not welcomed? Well, Jesus does everything on purpose. And so he goes through this town, but he meets this woman at the well. In John chapter 4, I'll read it to us. So Jesus came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noontime. So it's like the heat of the day. Well, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the, then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. In fact, we're going to be talking about the Jewish uh, uh, roots and on Wednesday night and on April 1st. Susie Chun and I are going to speak, we're going to uh, team teach on how the Passover, that celebration, connects to Christ. And if you don't know anything about the Passover, you want to be here on April 1st, Wednesday night. It's going to be a great time. Uh, it's going to teach us how God showed up and showed us Jesus Christ through the Passover meal and what Jesus came to bring that we're calling that night Passover, God's promise revealed or fulfilled because we're going to find out that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything God was doing in the Old Testament, especially when you have a, a Jewish nation or the Jews becoming a nation, the nation of Israel, and then those who are on the outside who didn't know God called the Gentiles, that now God calls us to be one together. And so we're going to have a Messianic Jewish presentation of the Passover and Jesus Christ that night. But right now, with the Samaritan woman, she's at the place where no one is supposed to, in her, in her town, connect with anybody who's Jewish. There is no affiliation there. So why are you coming to me asking me for a drink of water? Now look at Jesus' response in, in your notes, John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let's skip to verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the, wa of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water water springing up to eternal life. What Jesus was saying to her is, you're, you're so stuck with the physical that you can't even imagine the changes I can make in your life. You can't even imagine the life that I promised you. In fact, Jesus tells her later on, why don't you go get your husband? She goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right, you had five, and the guy you're living with right now is not even your husband. She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. reading my mail. <laughs> and she says to him, I how do you know these things? Are you, are you a prophet? She goes, I want this living water. I want, who is this, this living water? What is this all about? Because the Christ is to come, she says. He's, one day when, when, when the Christ comes, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to set everything in order. And Jesus says to her, I am he who speaks with you. Boy, it just opens her eyes. She tells the entire town, they all come to know Christ. But this one woman's life was changed as a result of Jesus planting that word in her life that she could say, wait a minute, this is how I'm living. Going from one relationship to the next, and now I'm in a relationship that I don't even know where it's going. But boy, you just, I can imagine now what my life could be. That I'm thirst, thirsting for something, but I don't know what it is, but I, I know what it is now, Christ. Why? Because he gave her the life she was supposed to live. Now she could imagine it. Now she could imagine what her life could be like with the changes that God brought into her. See, some people will change when they see the light. Others change only when they feel the heat. 
I hope we can be the people who change because we see the light of Christ. That we say to the Lord, okay, I, I, help me to imagine what life could be like with these changes. Because I trust in you. I want to make these changes. Newton's law, first law, which we call the law of inertia, says an object at rest stays at rest. Stays in that condition, that state. An object in motion stays in motion in that direction and that speed unless an unbalanced force comes against it. Unless this unbalanced force is acted upon a, a, an object that is in a state of rest or an object that is going in motion in a certain direction, unless an unbalanced force comes in, it stays the same. And that's a law. It never changes. And I thought that's, that's like God's laws. That's like His ways that that he says, you're going to stay in a state of rest or you're going to stay in the same direction unless something else comes in and changes the trajectory or gets you from a state of rest to now a state of action. Unless my spirit comes in, you remain the same. Oh, you can change the outward appearance. You can change the way you look. You can change a lot of things on the outside, but God is more concerned on the inside. God came to bring change to us. He's the God of change. He came to bring change to us because he knows that without him, we stay the same. There, there are no changes. When, when Heidi and I first came to know Christ and we first started coming to church, it was interesting that we learned that it wasn't about exterior change. It was about an internal change. Because if it's all about an exterior change, then then it only lasts for so long. It only lasts as long as we can perform. God says this in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for what? Good. And not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. See, that word for I know the plans I have for you is actually thoughts. That God knows the thoughts that he thinks towards us. The thoughts that he thinks towards us. It's actually a root word. The root word of that thoughts is imagination. Imagine. That God imagined what our life would be like and imagined what it could be and he says, that's it. I'm going to create you for that life. And then we're created, but then because of our sinful nature and us following our old ways and our own ways, we, we tend to skew off track of where God wants us to be because he says, this is why I created you. This is the best life for you. Some of us miss it by a little bit, but nonetheless, God says, this is the life I meant for you to live. That this is, this is what I imagined your life to be like. So if you imagine with me, we're going to partner together to reach this life that I planned for you. He says, these are the plans I have for you. These are the thoughts, the, the, the invention in my mind. These are the, 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 the imagination that went on in my, in my mind. This is what I've imagined your life to be. So if you connect with God, tell me he, he's not going to help us achieve that. It's his idea anyway. It's his imagination. It's his plan. It's his thoughts that he thinks towards us. And it's for good, not for evil, not for disaster. It's a hopeful life, which brings us to the third point. Now, this one, let's just go through it because it can almost seem fanatical. Stay connected to the church. Stay connected to the church. Wait a minute. Why the church? Why does it have to be connected to the church? Because isn't God everywhere? Can I just be anywhere and be connected to the church? I mean, isn't church where I am? I mean, if I'm at the beach, church is there because I'm at, I, I, am I not the church? If, if I, I can be anywhere. I can be at home. I can watch videos online that, that is a church service. So is that not church? Why be connected to the church? Let's read this scripture together. Colossians 1.18. Okay, it's in your notes or up here on the screen. Let's read it together. Ready, go. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. body. Okay, let's do a little, a, 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 a little, uh, a little dissection or dissecting on this. That if Christ is the head 
of the church, and we're the body. Just imagine, okay, we're the body of Christ, the church. Each made up of individual members, people, right? Because, yes, we are the church. But if we're the church, and he is the head, and we, we stay connected to the church, isn't it true that where Christ goes, so will we? Right. Okay, so stay connected to the church. But why can't I be in my own place? Why can't I have church at home, church at the park? Right? Why can't I just do that? Well, let's look at our physical body because this is how Jesus illustrates us as the church. He illustrates it in the physical body. He says, we are many members, yet one body. So here's my question. If I sever my hand from my arm, is my hand the body? Okay. What happens to my hand if I sever it from the body? Does it still look good? It can for a little while. Does it still have my fingerprints on it? Yes, it does. Are there still nerves in there? Is there still veins in there? Is there still skin? Yeah, it, it can still kind of look the same, but can it function anymore? No. What happens to it the moment it's severed? It begins to die. I mean, there is a chance because some people that, that happen in an accident, they're able to reattach because it's still in its you know, fresh condition, but after a while, it slowly decays. The church are the called out ones. That's where the word church comes from, ecclesia. It's that Greek word that means the called out ones, ek, which is where we get exit from. It's going out, ecclesia or kaleo. It's almost sound like the Hawaiian word means the, the ones that are called. So we're called out. We're the called out ones. So as the body of Christ, Jesus being the head, as we stay connected, there is a reason for that. Because not only are we connected here, but we're going to be called out there. Now listen very carefully. Being connected here is very important for the body to function out there. We gather together so that we can learn together as the body. Not one member of us is the body. Not one member of my body is the body. My hand is not the body. In fact, no one has a body unless there is a body. Some of you are lost right now. You're like, wow, that's, that's like Yoda. <laughs> In other words, if, if you take our body parts apart and you put it on a table and it's all separate, is that a body? No. It has to be connected. Now, I'm not saying this so that you, you start thinking about, oh, church attendance, I got to be at church every day and all that. No, no. You just stay connected. Stay connected. That you're connected to the body of Christ. Shanti Felden is a Harvard-trained social researcher, popular speaker and best-selling author of uh, For Women Only, and uh, other numerous books. But her, in her study, she found this out. 53% of happy couples agree with the statement, God is at the center of our marriage, compared to 7% struggling in their relationships. 35% more happier because they are connected to the church. People who attend church regularly are actually 35% less likely to divorce than those who have no religious preferences. In other words, we've heard the figure that on the outside, people who don't attend church, that 50% of them end up in divorce. And it was said, well, no, it's the same in the church. It's actually not. There is no study that says 50% of people who attend church actually have a divorce. It's more like 35%. I mean, yeah, it's lower, and it's still a, a kind of a high percentage. But when you're connected to the body of Christ, you're more accountable you're encouraged more. You're surrounded by more resources. 
that God is able to connect us together and, and pray for one another, be there for one another. How often I've seen people that haven't been in church for a while, and I'll ask them, hey, how, how have you been? And, and that's probably the worst thing. You know, you see the pastor, and it's like, hey, where have you been? You're like, I never go to church for like six months. He's going to ask me. And the reason why we ask each other, because we love one another. I hope that if you don't see me in church for a while, you ask me how I'm doing. I hope that as brothers and sisters, that if you see me going off the deep end, that you'd say, hey, you know, I love you enough to help you get back on board. As brothers and sisters, I hope when we don't see each other for a while that we ask, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. It's not a judgmental thought at all. It's a love statement. It's saying, I just want to know how you're doing. And then be honest. Sometimes we're on vacation. Sometimes we're working. Whatever, whatever it is. We don't have to put up a front and say, oh, you know, this and that. Just say what it is. Because we're supposed to be here as the body of Christ, helping each other, helping each other get better. I remember when Heidi and I first started coming to church, we were so excited about learning and growing together. And, and I remember I wanted to do everything. I got to go to church Sunday. I want to serve. I want to be here every day. I want to I just do everything for God. Wednesday night, Thursday night, do everything. And, and it's like God said, hang on, do you want to be a rocket ship Christian? Or do you want to be a slow burning coal Christian. I said, what do you mean? I just, I just want to do everything for you. I love you. I love you. I love you. He says, okay, a rocket ship takes off and oh boy, everybody applauds and then he sees it's like, wow, look at that. Look at the fire. Look at, look at much power. Look at, look at that. It's such, a, such an amazing sight to see. And so you're so excited. And then at about 50,000 feet, then the fire dies out. And then gravity takes over, and now you're falling until you hit the bottom. When God gave me that picture, I said, okay, so what do you want me to do? He says, I want you to just love me, not the fire that I've given to you. I want you to love me because I want you to be in it for the long haul. I don't want you to be like this for the next six months or a year or two, and then that's it. I have a great life for you for the rest of your life. And so I said, well, Lord, but, but I, I'm so excited about this new life that you've given to me. He says, good, keep pursuing my direction. Keep pursuing me. Keep pursuing what I, what I see in your life. Not, not what you want, how you feel, because you're going to go through dark times. You're going to go through times where you're not going to feel great. You're not going to feel like you want to serve me anymore. You're going to feel like quitting. You're going to feel like that. But you're going to follow the feeling, or are you going to follow me? Nothing wrong with following the fire. Just don't be a rocket ship that burns out. Follow me. And then I understood the concept that God was more concerned about me staying connected than he was anything else. He reminded me, I, I, he said, if, if not, you're going to be someone who has a lot, of, a lot of action, but you're not going anywhere. I mean, we've seen that before. You can make a lot of changes. You can do great things, and, and, but, but you're not going anywhere. After a while, you become, you know, like those, those car dealerships, you see that balloon man? It's like the balloon man would be like, woohoo! As Christians, we're like, yeah, this is so good. I love coming to church. Church is so awesome. Church is so awesome. Love praising the Lord. Love praising it. Oh, I love, I love being at church every single day. Every single day. Every day. And we're just doing this. And you see everybody going by there. Everybody's like, wow, look at that guy. Oh, he's on fire for the Lord. Look at it. Oh, yeah, he's involved in everything, like everything. Where's his family? Neglected. But he's involved in everything. Check him out. He's like all over the place. He's like, it's on fire for the Lord. It's on fire. Turn off the engine. Poof. <laughs> and then that's it. It's like we go from, from just being a fanatic and then life is done. And then like years later, we're like, hey, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, pow. What happened? Oh, fuel, burnout. It's done because life was everything about looking good. The exterior. Rather than what God was doing on the inside. 
for the long haul. I don't want to be a balloon man. I'd rather be a follower of Christ. I follow him. Oh, I may not do anything extravagant where people will applaud and say, wow, look at that. But, but I'm loving my spouse, loving my children, changing little by little, asking God to identify those areas, making progress little by little. But I'm connected to the body of Christ. That my brothers and sisters can pray for me, they can help me. Heidi and I made that commitment long ago. We said, being disconnected from the church is a non-negotiable. That's it, just, it's a priority in our family. And we would even have opportunities to go camping on the weekend and miss church. And people would say, no, you're the pastor. You can, you can, we're going to have church and camp. And I said, that's not, that's not my church. This is my church. Yeah, but we're all Christians, so we can, be, this is the body of Christ, kind of small piece, but we can be the body of Christ, and, and that's fine. That you can do that, but that's not the commitment I made between Heidi and I. It's a non-negotiable. Well, kind of legalistic. Yeah, no. Discipline. Because I need it. I need to see you face to face. I need you in my life. I need to stay connected to the body of Christ. Otherwise, I go off the deep end. We are, all, we are all one decision away from falling. All of us, one decision away. I don't want to give room for the enemy for that one decision. Because if I have my family here, they're going to help keep me accountable. The devil doesn't care if we sin. He could care less. What he wants is for us to be isolated. Because once we're isolated and severed, he doesn't have to worry about us anymore. We begin to decay on our own because we're isolated. And because of that, he doesn't have to worry about us sinning. It's going to happen as, as a result of being disconnected. And the wages of sin is death. I love how Jesus put it in John 15, 5. He says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, if the devil can get us to look like the world, then he won't have to worry about us being a new creation in Christ because you won't have time to be the new you and to live the new you. You won't have time for that. You're too busy trying to be a new version of an old you. Because even in the world, people improve, but they don't, they don't change. They just improve an old way of living, not the way God intended us to live. We just improve our old lifestyle. We just become a better version of our old worldly life. You don't become a better version of your old worldly life. That's not God's promise. You become a new creation in Christ. There's a major difference. See, when you're isolated, you will eventually decay and die. That's why Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In other words, there are going to be people who neglect meeting together, being connected. That's fine. But the Bible is saying that's not who you are. That's not who you're created to be. Don't neglect meeting together as some people do. And Heidi and I long ago said this is a priority for us. Yeah, but got the game today. It's a really good game. Record it. Watch it later. Yeah, but then somebody's going to tell me the score. You know what? I suffered through it. People come up to me and say, hey, you guys lost. I'm like, oh, I wanted to watch it later. 
So as the Bible says, if one member suffers, all members suffer. So if I got to suffer too, you can suffer along with me. And really, it's not that much of a sacrifice when you receive the blessings of staying connected. Now, again, it's not a legalistic thing. It's not, oh, boy, I, you know, I'm new today. That means i got to stay connected. Boy, well, I was kind of looking for a home church. No, when you find your home church, stay connected. That's where you're going to grow. That's where the pastor will speak into your life. That's where God's word is going to be planted into your heart. And then when you move into action, you're going to be blessed because of his word. Oh, why, don't, why, why can't we just, like, sporadically come to church? Why can't I just... Like once in a while. I mean, why, why does it have to be every week? Well, do you eat sporadically? You eat every day. We eat three times a day or more or a whole lot more. But we eat. Why? For our physical body. We don't give up the habit of meeting together for our spiritual body as well as the body of Christ. It's healthy for us as a church to stay connected. It's just healthy. And when we stay connected, all things are possible because we're connected. We're not apart where we can accomplish nothing. Jesus says, no, when you're connected to the vine and the branches, you can do all things. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, so all of us who have had that veil removed, in other words, the old way of thinking, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Let me just give you the root of the Bible saying change into His glorious image. Some of your Bibles will say going from glory to glory. That glorious stage, it means a most glorious condition, most exalted state of that condition with God the Father in heaven to which Christ was raised after He had achieved His work on earth. The glorious condition of blessedness into which is appointed and promised that true Christians shall enter after their Savior's return from heaven. In other words, God is saying... You're going to live your worldly life. You can only go so far. But if you live the life I imagined you to live, sky's the limit. There's a glorious stage going from glory to glory. He's created us to be better men, better women, better representatives of him. God sees who you and I can be. He could see that. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place so that we could live the life that he imagined us to live. He says, go live it. Imagine the new you, what that would look like. And make those changes. He's going to help us because he knows where we can be and who we can be. Jesus died so you and I could live. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to connect with one another, to connect with you, to identify those errors in our lives that we need to change, that we would be people who trust in you, that we, we would imagine what life could be like with these changes, that we would stay connected with one another in such a way that we would ask how we're doing, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that's loving and, and in a way that's, that's helping us. We're family, Lord. We're going to wonder how we're doing. And I pray that we'll continue to grow in you. Thank you for changing us from glory to glory. I know there's some this morning that they're, they're not a new creation in you because they've never accepted you as Lord and Savior. But right now, Lord, is an opportunity for those who have never given their hearts to you to make that dedication, that declaration, that commitment to stand firm in their faith with you and if you're here this morning and you're saying, I've never given my heart to Jesus, but boy, I, I, I can imagine what life could be like, but I don't know how to get there. Well, Jesus knows how. And if you want to receive him into your life, I'm going to pray with you. If you just lift a hand just real, real briefly, I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you want to give your heart to Christ, just lift up your hand and you're saying, I want Jesus to lead my life. Yeah, anybody else? God bless you. God sees you right there. God sees you. Yeah, it's an eternal decision right here in the front and the back. God sees your hands. Yeah, God sees you. Okay. Anybody else? 
Yeah, God sees you. God sees you back there. Right here, God sees you. He knows your decision. He sees you back there. Right here. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but I think we all can say this together, but especially for those who are receiving Jesus for the first time. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross, rising from the grave to give me eternal life. Thank you for your promises that you give to me that I can imagine my new life, that I am a new creation. All things have passed. All things are new. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just say congratulations to those that said yes to Jesus this morning? That is the best decision you will ever make in your life. At the end of service, we have our prayer team for those who received Christ. They have a Bible for you, and it's a free gift. That Bible will help you with your walk with Christ, and it will actually plant the Word of God in your hearts. So they'll be right over here on the end. Uh, after service, I'll be in our fellowship hall, our connecting wall. And if you're new today or if I've never met you, I would love to personally meet you so we can stay connected, okay? Uh, last week, can we just say thank you to Pastor Charlie for preaching such a wonderful message to us about going from dungeon to destiny. And we're actually going to receive a special offering today for Camp Agape, if you would stand with me. Uh, I'm actually going to pray for this special offering. We can stand right now. And then what I'm going to ask you to do is when we're done praying, that you can take this special offering to their booth outside uh, in our courtyard. And just go meet them, and they would love to see your support. Uh, but if God speaks to you to give, then by all means do so. But if He's not, then don't worry about it. I don't want you to feel pressured into it, but I want you to give cheerfully because God said so. So we're going to pray over this special offering. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for this special offering that we get to give to you. And this... This offering will go towards these children whose parents are incarcerated for this camp in which these four days, Lord, that they have this camp in May will transform them to be the people you imagined them to be, that they're living in a situation that they didn't plan, but that there's hope that you can bring. And so receive this offering, Lord, to further your kingdom and to bring hope to these children whose lives are being transformed by you. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, Amen.